as we're going to be talking about our message this morning, Pastor Paul sort of put a challenge out there last week that said, you know, as we are going to be talking about the things that Jesus did over the course of the month of September to read uh, to read a, one of the Gospels throughout the course of this month. And so uh, that's what I've done. I'm, I'm going to try to make it through even all four Gospels before the end of the month. And as you begin to really like dive in, some of your, you know, if you, if you allow, you know, like reading about Jesus to really sink in, some of your preconceived ideas of who Jesus is start to melt away. You know, and for me, as I'm reading through, and I'm reading through Matthew, and I'm reading through about how Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees. The, the, the Pharisees are the religious elite of the day, and it seems like Jesus, you know, throughout, you know, listening to what he says to the Pharisees, it seems like Jesus sort of has an axe to grind against these guys. And he really challenges them, and he really sort of pushes the boundaries uh, of, of regular just relationships, and he's, he's pushing it and really challenging to the point where you would have this idea that Jesus doesn't like these guys. And like kind of growing up, like just reading it, I've always kind of thought, well, yeah, you know, these people must have just been hanging around Jesus and just annoying him, Right? And, you know, Jesus is just trying to get him away and he's trying to do this or he's trying to do that. But as I was like reading this week, I was just blown away by like how much Jesus is talking to these people and, the, and reminding myself of the fact that Jesus wouldn't be talking to these people so much and trying to get them to a point where they could be following God's path if he didn't have a serious amount of compassion for these people. And what I think happens so quickly in our world today is, is when we look at the Pharisees, we see the end from the beginning. So we're like, Jesus, you know, I'm sitting there reading. I'm like, Jesus, they're a lost cause. Just like, let them do their thing. Like, you know, like he should be, Jesus should be going and healing more people who are sick. And then they could, you know, follow God. And I'm like, you know, leave these Pharisees alone. Like, they're a lost cause. But the truth is, we do that. Like, I do that in my own life, too. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, they're not interested in God. Well, I mean, I don't know if I should share with, with because I just, I, I don't know. And, and so we make those same excuses, you know, like we're, or we would think, we would make those excuses for us. And sometimes, you know, I've even been guilty of putting that on Jesus, but there's no lost causes with Jesus. There's only opportunities for us to do whatever we can to help them see and, and hear the good news of Jesus. And so... The re one of the reasons that people spend their lives, like we just saw in that video, or people take their, you know, they, they do everything or they take extreme steps to go and share the gospel with people is, is all usually around this verse in Matthew 28. And it's a common verse that we talk about when we talk about missions or we talk about Jesus loving the lost, which is what we're going to be talking about for the next little bit. And it's the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28. And it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you, or given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you see, long before Jesus made this decree, he was putting this verse and this command and this way of life into action. And we look at this like, you know, it's a commission or it's a commandment of Jesus. Go and make disciples. But what Jesus is laying out for us isn't just a command, isn't something that we should be following, isn't like, oh man, it's 10 o'clock at night. I didn't make a disciple today. Like, that's not, that's not the point of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you've watched me live my life 
And the way that I live my life is making disciples with my life. So now I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. See, long before Jesus said this to his followers, he was already putting it into practice. He was dealing with people. He was dealing with Peter who, you know, just seemed to always stick his foot in his mouth. And he was dealing with some brothers who were arguing over, you know, would they sit at Jesus' right hand in eternity? And, and, and there was all sorts of struggles, but then there were all sorts of successes that happened because of these disciples. And so Jesus is saying, the life that I lived and the things that I did while I was on earth, I want you to replicate those things. I want those things to be happening in your life. But in order to make disciples, we have to begin to see people differently. Just as, you know, just like that one thought of remembering that Jesus didn't see lost causes, that there was people, that there was people everywhere, and even the people that we would say aren't interested, they still are worth our prayer. They still are worth our time. They're still are worth, they still are worth our investment into their lives. And so I want to read a story here this morning, um, and, and each, each Sunday we're going to be talking a little bit about one of these interactions that Jesus had with people, and this is found in the book of Luke chapter number 19, Luke chapter number 19, and it's a story, it's a story you've maybe heard before if you've been in a Sunday school class, and it's the story about a man named Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. And so this is an encounter with someone who has interest in Jesus and what Jesus is doing, interest in something that is not at peace within his own heart, but he wants peace within his heart. He wants reconciliation. And he wants something different. And before we read this, we're, we're going to kind of read this with this thought and this intentionality here this morning, that there are people in our lives that represent people, that represent the person that we're reading, whether that would be us or whether that would be people that are in our lives. And I want you to read it in that light and as, as we go through it here this morning, because I believe that God could really share with us this morning about how we could reach the Zacchaeuses in our life. In verse 1 of chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed, in a, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. That's the part of this verse that jumps out at me maybe more than anything. Is 
He's defining the purpose of his presence on the earth. When he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Means that he was the one who was looking for the one who was lost and trying to bring them into a place of repentance. See, as we read in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples, Jesus lived his life in such a way that an expression of who he was was to help others discover the path of God for their lives. And I wonder how often for us, and I can be guilty of this too, we get so caught up in just what we're doing, we fail to see that God has placed us in this life to do just what Jesus did to seek and save those who are lost. And I can be guilty of it too. I can be guilty of just going my own way and sort of doing my own thing, and it isn't even bad, but I can live without intentionality, and I can live away from a place where I would say, you know what, I'm, I'm working toward helping other people understand who God is. I'm working toward helping people take the steps to grow in their relationship with God. And I'm going to help us understand what discipleship really is because maybe we have a false idea or a false sense of what it really is. And, and we were, I was just talking with Pastor Jordan about it this week. We were, he, we, he, we were discussing a sermon that he was writing up and, and he was like, you know what, we're, they were talking, we were talking about what happens when we get saved. And scripture talks about how when, what happens when we get saved is our conscience is made clean where we've spent our life living in sin, we've covered up our conscience with, with sin or with choices or whatever it might be, and we get to a place where we say, God, I, 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 want, I want to be made new. You know, we, it talks, Scripture talks about you know, becoming a new creation, which means God creates in us a new heart, a clean heart. And so then we have our conscience restored. And the conscience is the part of us that we would say convicts us of sin convicts us of sin to say you once were going this way and now God wants you to go this way. Salvation is that turning around, that repentance is the turning around of saying I want to accept salvation in my life. I want to live with my conscience clear. And so our conscience becomes clear. And the process of discipleship is to help others know what to do with that clear conscience. Because we can we can we can accept Christ, we can accept what he's done for us, and we can then be way more aware of the things that we've done. How many of you know what, what, what that's like? Where you, you, you would say, all right, God, I, I'm repenting, I'm walking away from that, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I definitely shouldn't be doing that anymore. I definitely should be walking this way. I definitely shouldn't be making this decision anymore. I need to be making this one. And what happens is when we first come to Christ, sometimes that, that voice and that conscience, it can just be a whisper. And the process of discipleship is helping us on that path. Salvation lays a path before us, and discipleship is then helping other people walk that path with us. And so whether that's the process of helping people discover that new conscience, helping introduce them to an idea of a relationship with God, or whether it's helping people through issues, helping people through losses in their family, helping people through times of maybe depression or anxiety or whatever it might be. We help those people in that place. And, and, and by doing so, we help create disciples. People, the word disciple means disciplined one. one so if we're going to be disciplined to walk the path that God has, God's calling us to bring those people along with us. 
But it starts with us beginning to see people the way that God sees them. And that is sometimes, and for me, can often be the most difficult thing, is to be able to see people and say, God, oh, I just have, I have compassion on their life. It's far too easy for us to say, oh, well, you're in this position because you're making bad choices. It's far more difficult sometimes for us to have compassion on those who are lost and say, hey, you know, Jesus died so that you can live free of those decisions. And so it's important for us to recognize that because we all need to be involved with the process of discipleship. We all need to be involved with the process of helping people discover Jesus. Zacchaeus was a representative of a person who is looking for something more in their life. And maybe we encounter people that aren't looking or we don't feel like are really looking. But there are people in our life that are right now looking for something different to happen in their life. And I believe that God has put you in that position and God has placed you in those situations that you could help minister to them, that you could share the love of Jesus with them. And so we're going to talk about three ways that we can have this heart for the lost, that we can live like Jesus in this way. And and since we're talking about missionaries, we're going to kind of insert ourselves in their lives and, and, and what they're doing through their work. Because, you know, just seeing Jonathan's, you know, video uh, and seeing like the faces of those people that, you know, he's seeing, you know, just trying to peek onto the camera. It's like, it's like that, that's the connection that we're making. You know, that's what we're able to see happen. And those are the types of, those are the people that we're, that we're serving and, and we're giving toward. And so there's three ways that we can be involved with this work when it comes to not just making disciples here, we'll talk about that in a second, but making disciples around the world. Number one, we can pray for these missionaries. And I know that kind of seems simple and, or, or gimmicky or whatever, but, but they need prayer. They, they, they ask us all the time, like, what, what is your greatest, we ask them all the time, what's your greatest need right now? And most of them, even though they, make, they don't have almost any money to do the ministry they want, they say our greatest need is prayer. Our greatest need is prayer because all the money in the world wouldn't be able to buy a, a softened heart from someone that we could go talk to. All the money in the world wouldn't be able to buy the, the, the opportunities that we have where, where God makes a way where there seems to be no way. So they, every time we ask them, what's your greatest need? Pray for us. And God would open doors. So that's, that's one way that we can get involved. Use it as an opportunity to build faith with your family. Talk about these missionaries. Talk about the things that they're doing. Some of these are, are, are not just risking, you know, taking, making sacrifices for not living in America, but they're risking their lives to see people saved and to see people come into a relationship with God. Talk to your kids about that. Talk to your kids about the fact that, you know, a relationship with God and Christianity isn't always a safe thing. It's that it, that it could cost us something. Those are good conversations to have. Pray for them with your family. And we can celebrate. Prayer allows us to celebrate togetherness with the people who are doing things all over the world. We can celebrate that togetherness. Number two is we can give. Uh, all of these people rely on monthly support. Um, none of them are independently wealthy. And they're just operating on some, you know, 
trust fund that's allowing them to do whatever they want in other countries and live lavishly. Uh, these people rely on monthly support. And so what it means for us is that we get the opportunity to join with them and help support them uh, on a physical, in, in a physical way by giving them the finances that they need to do their ministry. And it's worth noting uh, because it's, it's, it's commendable for so many of you. And as I shared just about the one ministry that we're, we were able to be a part of the Philippine ministry since its inception, it's just, it's just been so cool to see God do some of those things. And the truth is we should be encouraged that all of these people that we support that begin to see all of these people saved, we have a part in that. And I want to encourage you, it's, it's no small thing to realize that what we're putting in an offering plate or what we're giving online is making an impact all over the world. And so we should be encouraged about to continue our generosity, that we could see people saved, that we could see people all over the world understand who Jesus is, as so many of these people are going to places that have never heard the name of Jesus. So we give, and, and, and you can make that part of something you do as a family as well, remembering that there's people all over the world that need our support. And that we can do it not just when we, maybe when we put it in the offering basket, but maybe there's somebody that we talked about this morning that's really on your heart and you want to be like, you know, I want to I send them something extra. I want to do something around Christmas time and, 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 and really help their family during this time. That would be a really, really cool thing to do. I want to encourage you to do that. And the last one is um, to plant the seeds of the message of Jesus for ourselves. You know, we... We, we can live lives sometimes and we can talk about missions one Sunday in a year, but we can live very disconnected lives from what it looks like from somebody giving their life for the sake of the gospel and what it would take for us to help make disciples at our workplace or help make disciples within our family. And the truth is, you can begin to plant the seeds of the good news of Jesus in people's lives and as you grow in a relationship with them, you can begin to watch those seeds produce a harvest. And it isn't always something that you see immediately. You see, I love my relationship with my parents' garden because they do all the planting and I do all the harvesting. I don't give them the harvest, I take the harvest. And they pl I remember this spring, they were planting this garden. It was all beautiful. And I saw my dad out there. We live very close to my parents. He was, weeding his, he was weeding his garden. And he was looking. He's like, wow, this is just so great. We're so excited to have, you know, some fresh vegetables. I don't think they've eaten a single vegetable out of that garden. I've eaten every single one. They just, oh, they're too busy. I'm not stealing, I'm not stealing vegetables. Like, well, I, maybe I would, but um, <laughs> I, I'm just going there. All oh, these, these tomatoes are going to go bad if you don't take them. So I'm like, okay, I'll take these. I'll, I'll, I'll take them. Like, it's just, it's easy for me. And I think about it every time I go over there to my parents' house. It's like, this is just so easy. And it so represents our relationship with other people. Because the easiest part of doing ministry and seeing people's lives be transformed, the easiest part is the harvest. And it's the most fun, right? If you've ever served at like KSO or Crave Conference or uh, whatever else it might be, the, you know, these really cool events that we have the privilege of doing, you see these lives that are transformed. It's pretty easy. We all work together and we just, har it just the harvest is like there and it's just so awesome. The difficulty is the planting of the seeds, right? And like when it comes to our own relationships, the most difficult part in, in helping make disciples is the initial step of planting seeds. But I'm going to tell you right now, in my own life, 
when I begin to change my prayer from, oh God, I, I, just, I just pray that you know, these people would, would, would come to a relationship with you. I mean, I don't think that that's a bad prayer, but for me, I gotta be way more specific. Because I gotta be like, all right, God, I want you to show me somebody today that I could plant the seeds of the gospel in. Because, because otherwise, it, like, God gives us the opportunity to minister to those people. He puts the Zacchaeuses in our life because there are, whether you think so or not, if you're living a life that's, that's following God, there are people that are climbing up into trees looking at your life. And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want people to be looking at my life. They're looking at your life not because they're necessarily looking for something to go wrong. They're looking for an opportunity to make something right within them. And we have the distinct privilege of seeing those people, recognizing those people, and planting the seed of the gospel in their life. Sometimes it happens almost instantly. Somebody comes to us and they're talking and, and maybe they've gone through something really bad and we begin just to listen and we talk to them and all of a sudden it's like, hey, they want to follow God or they want to come to church with us or whatever it might be. And sometimes it takes years and years of planting the seed of God in their life and just praying that that grows. For me, I have to pray that God gives me the opportunity to sow those seeds into others. I have to pray that God's like, all right, that God puts me in situations where I can begin to share his love with others. And I wonder maybe if we didn't make that our prayer, what the difference would be in our life. Because it doesn't give us a way out. If I just pray for, you know, my cousin to come to Christ, oh, I just, I, I pray that they'll come to Christ. No, God, give me an opportunity to speak to him. Give me an opportunity to speak to her. Give me an opportunity to just listen to them. I know they're going through a rough time right now. I, go, I know this coworker of mine is going through a divorce. I, 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 I know that, you know, this friend of mine just lost a parent. And, and God, give me an opportunity to, to help them. Give me an opportunity to speak something positive, something life-giving into their... And if we begin to form our prayers with God like that, where we don't just give ourselves a way out and we make God do it all... I believe that stuff starts to change. Whenever I pray that, those are prayers you get answered. I can promise you. you want to, if you're like, oh, God doesn't answer my prayers, ask God for opportunities to share his love with others and watch how quickly it gets answered. It's almost instant. And this brings me to like the last scripture that I just want to read to you. I just want you to listen to this. Because God has equipped you to do this work. You don't have to think like, oh man, that's so easy for you to say. You've been in church your whole life. You've been to a Bible college and you read the Bible. Like you just sit around the church and read the Bible and drink coffee all day. Of course it's easy for you to minister to other people. That's not what my day looks like. But this verse is so key for us. It's Ephesians 1. It's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Uh, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in, the holy, in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength we, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly realms, far above of all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it in every way. 
If God is going to do something on the earth, he's going to use you. He's not going to just, you know, drop salvation into somebody's head. He's not just going to be like, just, just drop it onto somebody's lap at, you know, the person that works with you and on their desk. He's going to use you. Why? Because he's given you the authority to do it. He's equipped you to do it. And he's given you a story that's already being uh, formed in your life. He's forming that story for you to begin to share it with others. And as you plant the seeds of the gospel in people's lives, you begin to start to see it take root. Some of the things that we have planted in our lives, we may never we may never see the harvest until eternity. All these missionaries that we support, we may never see the harvest. We may never see all of the things. But I want to encourage you to keep planting those seeds. There's not just a season in your life where you can do that. It's every day if you wake up and you ask God, God, I want an opportunity to show your love today. God, I want an opportunity to help somebody through a rough time today. God, I want an opportunity to show your love to somebody who's down today. God, I want an opportunity to talk to somebody who's depressed or is anxious. God, I want, to, I want an opportunity uh, to, uh, to share your love with someone. Those are the prayers that are going to get answered in your life. And as you See those types of prayers answered. Your faith will grow. You'll be able to believe God for even bigger and more. And as you begin to grow in your relationship with God, you will then disciple others. Not because you're running a program, but it will, it will be because it's an extension of who God has created you to be. And just like Jesus, it won't be a command that you have to follow. It will be a lifestyle that you live. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? I want to pray not only just for us. I want to pray as we are thinking about these missions groups and these people. And I want just to pray for them this morning as well. Let's, let's go before the Lord and ask for his, uh, for his direction and his wisdom. God, I just thank you for each and every person here. God, that you're helping us that you're convicting us, that you're showing us the way, that you're showing us the path in which to walk, and that you're giving us the strength, the courage, and the endurance to walk it out for you in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for all these people. So many of them have sacrificed so much. And so we give them to you now, and we ask that you would give them direction. We ask that you would give them hope. We ask that you would give them opportunities to share your love with people, whether it's here locally, whether it's uh, in this country, whether it's all over the world. God, we ask that you would give them those opportunities in Jesus' name. Now, as we're still here, we're still focused on God. I want to ask this question. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say that you, like this man Zacchaeus, need something more, something different in your life and you're discovering in this very moment that that thing that you need is a relationship with Jesus. If that's you here today and you haven't done that before, you haven't taken the step to say, yeah, that's me, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer that can be the beginning of that journey with God. And so if that's you here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to ask that you would raise your hand right now. By raising your hand, you'd say, yeah, that's me, I want to, I want to pray a prayer. I want to begin this journey.
God, I just thank you that as, we, that as we go, God, that you would allow us to walk your path, that you would help us to see you clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.